as we continue this, uh, this morning, one of the things that I want us to look at is the lessons, the faith lessons that we, uh, our kids, learned this week. Uh, there were four things, four days, right? You see five here. I'll, I'll get to the fifth one here. Uh, when life is unfair, and you help me out here, God is good. When life changes, God is good. When life is scary, God is good. When life is sad, and today's lesson, when God is good, or when life is good. Now, here's the question. Do we believe that? Do we believe what we just said? Do we believe what we just heard our kids sing about? God is good all the time, right? That's what we're talking about. In every part of life situation, every life situation is God good. We know that's the right answer, right? But we struggle. If we're honest, when life is unfair, we think God is unfair. When life changes, we're kind of concerned about what God's doing in our life. And is he playing some sort of shell game with us, with his will, with his truth, with what's going on in our lives? When life is scary, we begin to wonder, does he really care about us? We're tempted when we're sad to, to uh, be angry at God. And when life is good, our tendency is to forget God. And so I ask the question again, do we believe God is good? I think that our minds and our theology says yes. And in our hearts, we struggle. And there is the thing that I want to talk about this morning because I believe that when life is good, and, and just so you know, I've taken, since we don't do Friday VBS, I take the lesson every year that's intended for Friday. And that becomes the passage and the direction for the message so that it fits with everything that we've done all week long. So that we begin to think about what our kids have been thinking about all week, about God being good. And it's at the good times when God is good that we build a reserve that helps us with the difficult times. I read uh, a daily devotional this week that I thought was very profound in regard to this. And in fact, it's on that daily Devo uh, uh, app that I've encouraged you to, to get. Shane and Shane do it. It's music. You hear one of their songs, and then, you, then they begin to give a daily devotional. And the one on July 18th went this way. It says, at one time or other... Every saint this side of heaven has reason to cry with the father of the demonized boy, I believe, help me in my unbelief. Having both things going on at once, belief and unbelief, we believe but we struggle. And then he goes on and says, at different times in varying degrees, we stumble as we walk the narrow road. At times, we waver. We wonder if God really hears our prayers in the morning, we drowse at his word. Suffering tempts us to become suspicious of his governance. I love that phrase because it hits home for so many of us. Suffering tempts us to become suspicious of his governance. Unanswered prayer makes us unsure of his care. Chronic pain makes us skeptical whether he will help in time of need. When we are tempted as Lot's wife to look back at such distrust can and, and such distrust can come upon us subtly rarely introducing itself properly 
We start to sleep in a little more, pray a little less, and avoid seasons of fellowship with other believers. We get lost in the digital devices to numb the still small voice. Come back to me. We know we have strayed. We know God has done nothing to deserve our distrust. So we sing, Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. We need his grace. We need his strength at those difficult times, at those times when it doesn't seem that God is good because we know he is good. Satan tries to uh, distract us in this regard. In fact, his famous word, I think, that he uses is if. Because he used this with Jesus, our Savior, when he says, if you are the Son of God in the temptation in Matthew 4, and then he tempted him. I think he asked the same of us. If you're a child of God, why is that prayer not being answered? If you're a daughter of the king, why are you facing cancer? If you're really his servant, why is he allowing these difficulties to be part of your life? And so we began to struggle with, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. I know the right answer, but I'm struggling, Lord. Help me with this. You ever face those kinds of times? How do we get past those? How do we handle those? Because what we have to understand, one of the ways that we get past it is we know in the good times, we begin to build that repository of understanding of his goodness so that in the darkness we don't begin to doubt what we learned in the light. That we know that God is good at all these times. And so that's the reason for the rock that you were given when you came in. If you didn't get a rock when you came in, I want to encourage you to take one. And you'll see as we go through the passage why. Because we need to remember the goodness of the Lord. And in fact, this is a great passage in, in Joshua chapter 4. And I want you to turn with me to Joshua chapter 4 and verse 19. Joshua chapters 3 and 4, I would encourage you to go back and read at some point this week. But we're just going to take the end part of it. And then I'm going to give you a little bit of the things that came before. In Joshua 4.19, it says, The people came up out of the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? You've got that stone in your hand? What does this stone mean? What do these stones mean? Then you will let your children know Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea. So he's comparing it to whenever Moses and the and children of Israel crossed the Red Sea. He said this is going to be a, a, uh, a reminder of you of that as well. He says when he dried up for us until we passed over so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty that you may fear the Lord your God forever so that all the world will know and so that you will know it's something that he wants us all to know of his mighty power on our behalf his goodness towards us 
Now, there's some history that you have to understand in order to kind of pick this up, and so I want to just verbally give you a little bit of that. And in fact, as I give it verbally, I also have a map that I want you to look at. This map gives us the history leading up to this moment, to this moment when he's standing with the children of Israel with their feet near the Jordan River. They're looking into the promised land. They're getting ready to enter in. What happened before that? What happened before that was they were in Egypt. And as we saw on the video, the children of Israel asked, or, or Moses asked, let my people go. And what did Moses say? No. And yet after 10 plagues and his own son dies, he releases them. They go into the, to the desert and, they, and they go there and they get to the Red Sea. And as they're standing at the Red Sea with the Red Sea to their backs, they're looking around and here's Moses, I mean Pharaoh's armies and they're on one side, their backs are against the sea. I mean, it's a scary proposition. The most powerful army on earth at that day. And they're getting ready to attack, but they wait. Because there's a pillar of cloud by fire, a pillar of fire, a pillar of fire by night, and a pillar of cloud by day. Kind of mixing them together there, wasn't I? And so they were being protected by God in a supernatural way. And then God parts the Red Sea all night long. A wind blows and the sea is parted and the ground is dry and they cross over. All these people cross over with these two great walls of water on either side. Pharaoh's army decides to go through it as well and God collapses the waters. He protects Israel, defeats the Egyptian army all in one fell swoop. And so God's goodness, his power, his, his protection his, happens here. And so they travel down to Mount Sinai where Moses goes up on the mountain and he receives the law, he receives the Ten Commandments, and the children of Israel have everything that they need. And so they make their way to Kadesh Barnea. And at Kadesh Barnea, they send 12, tribe, of his 12 spies into the land. And these 12 spies, one from every tribe, go into the land and they come back. And they've got grapes with them and they've seen the people of the land. They've spied it out. And ten of them give a bad report. Two don't, Joshua and Caleb. They're the only ones that, by the way, survive later. And so because they voted not to trust the Lord and not to go in the promised land, God allowed that generation to wander in the wilderness for 40 years until that whole generation died and a new generation was raised up. And it's that new generation under the leadership of Joshua that's standing right at the very precipice of the, of, the, uh, of the promised land. They're right at the very cusp of it. They're ready to go into this land. What, we, what, what you read earlier in the passage is that the, uh, it's at flood stage. So the river's at flood stage. Now, if you've ever been near a river at flood stage, it's a, kind of a scary proposition. One year when we were on vacation with our family, in fact, all of Susan's family, we were at this campground, and they said the water's going to come up. And they didn't say how much. They thought maybe 12 feet. Well, now, the river was probably from here to Country Club, so it was quite a ways away from our campsite. And it was a pretty deep ravine that it was in, so I thought, you know, I walked down there in the middle of the night. It was still in its banks because it was still raining. It rained all night long. I heard a banging on my door at 6 in the morning, and I look out, 
And the water is like from here to the middle row of this sanctuary from our place that we're staying. And they said, they told us, and we were, we were landlocked. We were on this island. We couldn't get out. And they said, the water's coming up 12 more feet. And I began to look in the trees and begin to wonder how are we going to survive this? We began to pray. And fortunately, the water went down, and then it came back up to 12 feet. But when you look at that water and it's rushing past you, it's powerful and it's scary. And so you imagine, here's the children of Israel. They come up to, this, to this, uh, the plains of Moab, which is right, uh, right here at the north, northern part of the, sea of, uh, the Dead Sea, and they see Jericho across. Now, the, vi the view that they would have had would have been this view. They would have seen this. This is a picture that I took on Mount, uh, I was on Mount Nebo, and the plains of Moab are to my right, and Jericho is an oasis. So do you see Jericho? It's this green spot right here in the middle of all this Judean wilderness. And there's Jericho, a powerful city, and we're supposed to take it. And you can imagine the children of Israel knowing there's this powerful city-state that they're supposed to take and, there's, and, and you can imagine the anxiety they may have felt and the uncomfortableness. I mean, you don't have a place to go. And you're supposed to, as, as Moses told them, they're supposed to step into the water. In fact, the, high, uh, the priests that were carrying the Ark of the Covenant, the most valuable possession your whole nation owns, this Ark of the Covenant made out of gold, he said, I want you to walk to where the priest's feet are standing in the water. Now, if you've seen a river at flood stage, you're going, I'm not getting near there, right? I'm, I'm staying away from there. And we're supposed to take our most valuable thing and we're supposed to walk into the water with this thing? Yes. And so by faith, they step in. The water doesn't receive one iota before they step in. They've got to step in by faith. And they begin to step into the water, and as they step into the water, it stops. And in fact, they're going across on dry land. The, the text tells us in chapter 4 and verse 10, the people passed over in haste. I think I would too. You know, the, the water is being held back. And we're told that the water is held back all the way to Adam. Now, you have to kind of see a map of it. I found this neat looking map uh, of, the, uh, uh, of the, here's the Dead Sea, here's the Jordan River, Here's the Sea of Galilee to the north and then the Mediterranean Sea to the west. And, and this, this valley right here is called the Rift Valley. It actually starts up in Syria, goes all the way into, uh, into Africa to Mozambique. And so it's a, it's, it's, there's plates that are moving. Uh, and in fact, you'll see the different Arabian tectonic plate and the African tectonic plate, you know, for those of you who like that kind of thing. And the question is, is what happened? How did the water stop all the way to Adam? Well, actually, it has happened before. It's happened since then, I mean. It's happened in uh, 12, um, 12 uh, let's see, where is it? 1267, uh, AD 1267. It also happened in 1927. In 1927, all the way to Adam. So that's 20 miles. There was an earthquake that happened in 27. It, it covered this, uh, this, the river, and for 21 hours, no water flowed into the Dead Sea. So God used, 
I think an earthquake because of Psalm 114. We'll see that in a minute. He used a secondary source of an earthquake, but it happened the minute their feet stepped in the water. It was a miracle. It wasn't just some natural explanation. And the ground was dry. It wasn't wet. It wasn't moist. It was, they walked across on dry ground. And so it was definitely a miracle. And the water came back the minute their feet stepped out. But for 18 miles, no water. You can imagine how the people of Jericho, who may have never seen that in their lifetimes, all of a sudden they see this glittering golden ark being carried into the water, and the water is just stopped for 18 miles. That's mind-boggling what they must have felt. Their, their hearts probably sunk into their stomachs. I'm sure they were sick as they looked at that. In Psalm 114, which celebrates both the Red Sea crossing and the Jordan one, a couple of verses there, says, The sea looked and fled. The Jordan turned back. The mountains skipped like rams. The hills like lambs. Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord. So when they step in, an earthquake occurs the water stops. I mean, can you imagine? It's not just you're seeing water stop. You're feeling an earthquake happen. And you're feeling the power of God at that moment. And it's this army that just steps across, hastens across. Millions of people hastening across, and they're ready to attack your city. That had to make their hearts sink. And that what they had them do is they had 12 men. Notice this in chapter 4, verse 1. It says, When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take 12 men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take 12 stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly. And so you, they went near where the priest had been standing, and bring them over to you, and lay them down in the place where you will lodge tonight. We know that they lodged at Gilgal, and we know that Gilgal was east of, uh, uh, of Jericho, so we know it was in that direction. And, and, they, and they come in, and they, they drop off the stones. Now, I would imagine that each stone, we, we think of these huge stones in a, in a memorial or in a, of some sort, they would have only been able to carry what one person could have carried. Now, I'm, gu I'm guessing they got their strongest guy, right? The strongest person in the whole tribe, you get over here and you pick this thing up. And just human nature, I'm just saying, uh, I'm, I'm guessing here's some guys going in, and he gets ready to pick up a stone, he looks over, and somebody's picking up a bigger one. So what do you do? And you leave that one, and you go find you a bigger one, Right? I mean, it's just human nature, but I, I imagine they ended up with some pretty significant stones, probably around 100, 120 pounds. I don't know how much those guys could have lifted. And they bring them to Gilgal. So here they are. Very first act they do is put a memorial here. Why would you put a memorial your first day in? Because we have memorials. You go to Washington, D.C., and you see the Lincoln Memorial and the Washington Memorial and, and all these different memorials. They didn't put those memorials up before the war, right? They put them up after. Here they're putting the memorial up before they even have their first military action. What are they saying? We, by faith, believe that God is going to give us this land. We believe that God is going to provide for us what he has promised all these years. And so here they are, 
and they put them at Gilgal. Now, Gilgal, the word is similar to the word for circle. And so you look at this idea of circle, and some have thought they didn't put them in a pile, they put them in a circle. Because in Gilgal, there was apparently some uh, uh, non-Christian cults that were worshiping their gods and put some stones in a circle. For, and so they're saying, no, it's not those gods. It's this God, the one true God. And so some think that they put them in a circle. I don't know. We're not told in the text. But we do know that they use stones as a memorial. And we know that that's something that you see in, in ancient Israel. And in fact, even in modern Israel. If you were to go today to uh, the Mount of Olives... And in fact, as I, I think I'm, I may have mentioned, in 2021, or at least to some of you in 2021, I'm going to take a trip to Israel. We're going to be able to stand on Mount Nebo and, and see Jericho. We're going to be able to go to the Mount of Olives. And you'll see this. On the Mount of Olives, there is a, uh, about a, a huge portion of uh, the Mount of Olives are grave, uh, grave, grave sites. And what you see on those grave sites is you see that people will take stones, and, and we put flowers on our grave sites they will take stones and put them as stones of memorial, stones of respect rather than flowers or something else. And so you'll see all of these different graves with these stones stacked on them. You'll see it in Israel. You'll see it in other places that have a, a Jewish influence. And so they use stones. They would also stand stones up, and they were called massive boat. And, and those massive boat, they, they would stand this stone up, and this standing stone would be a stone of memorial. It would be a, a, a monument to what God had done up to that point. We see that in 1 Samuel 7, where Samuel, after they defeat the Philistines, they stand up a stone, and you probably know the name of it. They call it Ebenezer. And what does Ebenezer mean? Thus far, God has helped us. Thus far, God has helped us. God has been our help. God has been the one that's taken care of us. God's been the one that provides for us. God is good. Basically that. That these memorial stones are reminders of God watching over his people. And so when I was thinking through this passage today, I was thinking, you know, it's just a simple statement. God is good and yet a pro very profound one, one that we need to be reminded of at those times that Psalm 20, like Psalm 23 says, yea, though I uh, walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. We need to be reminded that, of God's presence with us. And so my application, and I'm going to give it to you now, the thing I want to encourage you to do is take that stone that you got when you came in. If you didn't get one when you came in, get one when you walk out. And I'd like to, you to take that stone and, and remember this passage and maybe even write on it 1 Samuel 7, 12, I believe is the passage. Write that on there and write, God is good. And then put that stone somewhere where you will see it or where your family will see it. If you have one for each of your family members, that would be a great paint, uh, paint the stone kind of uh, thing as a family. And you just paint on it simply, God is good. And you can put flowers or whatever else you want to put on there. But I want to encourage you to do one other thing with that. I want you to, wherever you set that stone, I want you to get one of these. Just a little notebook. One that has a pen attached. You know, they have these little, you know, fancy things to hold them closed. And I want to encourage you to sit the stone on top of this journal. And I want you to write and begin to write in the journal those times where God is good. 
It may mean that you start the journal by going back and recounting stories of how God was good to your family, of things that God has done for your family, and how he has provided for you, how he has taken care of you. And I want to encourage you to put that stone on there so that you remember God is good. And when at those times that you're struggling, when life seems unfair, when you're sad, when you're struggling, you can grab that book and you can begin to read of God's goodness. And it reminds you of who God is. Because we have memorials all the time. Why do we have memorials in our country? Why do you go to Washington, D.C. and there's a Korean War monument or a Vietnam monument or or World War II monument, or you see Martin Luther King monument, or you see in New York, 9-11. Why do we have monuments? Why do the Jews have Holocaust museums in different places? Lest we forget. And yet we don't realize that we need spiritual monuments as well, and we don't always have those in our lives. We don't always take time to, to build those spiritual monuments so that our kids will know when, uh, and in fact, twice in the passage it says, uh, when your children ask in time to come, and that's in chapter 4 and verse 6. You also see it in four, uh, chapter 4 and verse 21. And he said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? then you shall let your children know. Notice he doesn't say, then you'll take your children to BBS or you'll take them to your to Sunday school or you'll take them to the pastor or you'll take them to the rabbi. He doesn't say that. He says, so that you can tell your children, it's Deuteronomy 6, that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and you teach your children when you sit down, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you get up and all of life's events. You're the one telling your children God is good. You have a story that you've written down that even after you've passed, they can read of God's goodness and the stories of your life of God's goodness, things only God can do. Because you need those, those spiritual stories that enliven your faith and encourage your faith at the difficult times. I know in my, my own family when I was growing up, we heard over and over the story about how God preserved my brother's life. My little brother, when he was one year old, was in the hospital. They thought he was going to die. My dad said that every day they brought in a tray of shots. He counted them 106. They didn't know what was wrong with him. He was, had a fever and he was having problems and difficulties. And, and so they took him in for surgery not knowing, kind of exploratory, and they cut him from stem to stern. And then they sewed him back up, and they did, weren't any the wiser. And then my little brother started getting better. And whenever they were getting ready to check out of the hospital, my dad went to the doctor, and he says, Doc, he says, I just want to thank you for what you did for my son. And the doctor said, you're thanking the wrong person. Because we don't know what was wrong with him. We don't know why he got better. You need to thank God because God is the one who made your son better. I mean, that's a story to tell. That's a story that when you, when you hear it, you go, wow, that was a God, a God moment. God did that. 
It wasn't something that even the doctors, they, they even said, we don't know what happened. We need those memorials in our life. We need those stories. Those stories deserve to be told in our families so that when our children are growing up, they have seen and they've tasted of the goodness of God. And so, what that we remember is so important, but what we remember is so important as well. That we remember the stories. And in fact, that's what he says in, in, in chapter 4 and verse 23. He says, for, he tells them, you put, the, you put these stones up. He says, for... And for, whenever they ask for, you think, oh, there's a purpose, there's a result, there's something there. So for, the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until, the, until you passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over. So that, verse 24, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. So it's not only for the sake of the world around us. It's so that we will also be reminded of God's goodness. God is good. So I want to remind you or I want to encourage you. Here they were on the very first night. Very first night without... Jericho hasn't fallen yet and they're putting up a memorial already looking forward to what God is going to do, looking back at what God already did. First thing they did, a statement of faith, a step of faith. I want to encourage us in the same way to begin to establish a memorial somewhere on our desk, in our home, on a coffee table, wherever, that God is good. Because that's what's going to carry us through the difficult moments. When we believe that when life is good, God is good. And we begin to look back on his goodness when times are unfair, when times seem unfair, when times make us sad at the other times of life. Because our, as our children reminded us, God is good. Father, we come to you this morning. And we just admit to you that there are times in our lives where we struggle with your goodness. We're wondering if you're really good, wondering if you're really going to provide for us, wondering if you're going to be there, wondering if you're hearing our prayers. And so we come to you now. And we admit, we believe you are good. Father, like the, that father of that demonized boy, we believe, help us in our struggles. Help us in our unbelief. Help us to grow in faith. Help us to believe you more. Oh, for grace to trust you more, Lord. We ask for that. And Lord, we pray and we thank you for all the many things that you've done for us. You've given us life itself. You've given us these years of our lives up to this point. We've not guaranteed of any future ones, but Father, thank you for what you've already given Lord, you have provided for us in amazing ways, in ways that it's obvious that you are the one who's provided. 
And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us. I pray that you would help each person here who may be struggling with your goodness. Father, I pray that they would be reminded of the goodness of God and how you've been good to them up to this point. Lord, I pray that we would be good at teaching our kids this very lesson, that it wouldn't just be one week of their lives that they learn God is good, but it's every day of their lives as they see mom and dad or they see brother and sister, they see aunt and uncle, they see grandma and grandpa trusting you and trusting your goodness and believing in you and and with hope and with faith. Lord, I pray that you would grow us and that you would grow those around us that the world may know you are God and you are good. Father, we pray also this morning as we go to lunch I want to thank you for what you've provided. Father, once again, that you've provided just a simple thing, a free meal. Lord, we, we, we are thankful for that. That you faithfully provide for us. Father, there's so many people even in our own community that don't have enough food. And yet you provide for us and we want to thank you. And I pray that you would help us to continue to reach out to our community and provide for them. Lord, we thank you for all that you've done. We praise you for this week of EBS. I thank you, Father, that the Spanish service was able to join us this morning and that we were able together with one church in two languages worship you together. Father, you've provided so many incredible things here. Thank you. We worship you and we praise you, and it's it's in your name that we pray. In the precious name of Jesus. Amen.